so much young ladies and thank you young ladies and uh, when you're my age everybody's a young lady and it's a lady even brad's a young i'm sorry <laughs> but anyway it is great to see you here today and well dave asked me what i was going to say tonight to pick on him i i, I still got a lot left in there and but i'm going to be nice tonight it'll be the first time but uh, <laughs> i love you brother dave you're a blessing to me seriously all kidding aside i think no, I'm serious. Oh, maybe. Anyway, well, it's great to be here. How many of you glad you're here tonight? Yeah. Amen. Good, good. I'm glad you're here, too. It's bad if I had to preach to Brad all night. I did that for four years. And, well, I think it was six years and four years. We, he, packed, he packed four years into six, uh, but he made it. He, he said he was the valedictorian. There was only two in his class, and we had no... Just, there was two graduating his class, and there was no, if you, you got it, if the highest grade, whatever it was, 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 the, uh, was, a, was a valedictorian, the second was a salutatorian, and there was two in his class, and the other boy didn't even know how to spell dog. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's not bad, you know, that's not bad, Brad, not bad. Were you, were you really the valedictorian? You were not the valedictorian. Salutatorian? I don't even know if that's true or not. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to see it. In your, do you got it posted in your office? I would advise you, and I'd done that. <clears throat> but anyway, anyway, I'm just teasing. He actually finished in seven years, not six, and uh, with a uh, with a uh, <clears throat> a degree. And uh, 
He got an associate's degree in seven years. But uh, anyway, <laughs> as for you wondering, that's a two-year degree. But uh, anyway, no, he didn't. He got a four-year degree in four years. I love Brad, and I appreciate him and Josh both have been such a blessing to me. And now I'm telling the truth, have been such a blessing to me. And Pastor, thank you again for giving me the privilege of coming. And I appreciate it so much. And I appreciate the staff of the Kavanaugh and all the other the fellows and all the staff. Thank you all so much for uh, having me to come and be a part. I appreciate it so much. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate y'all's church. I love you. I thank God uh, for the privilege. It's one of the highlights of uh, getting to come and be a part here. And I'm just honored that you asked me to come. And, um, and so I just want to mention that to you. And thank you again for all the meals. Everything that's been done has just been fantastic. The accommodations are first class. And uh, I, I just appreciate so much everything's done. If you have your Bibles, please, turn to the book of Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah. Chapter number 1. Jeremiah chapter number 1 in your Bibles. Jeremiah chapter number 1. Out of respect and honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I stand and read? Would you uh, read along uh, silently as I read out loud? We'll read the first 10 verses. The word of the Lord, the words rather of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. And it, he, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of the Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now let me stop there for just a second and say this. When the invasion was made, the first one it came with, uh, from Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, he took the upper class people, rich people, uh, those like Daniel and all of them were taken. And the prophet to them, of course, was Daniel. Another contemporary during that time, of course, was Ezekiel. The second time they came, they took the middle class people, the, the craftsmen, carpenters, that kind of thing. And those people uh, went, they took them away, and, and Ezekiel was a prophet to them, more, more or less. And then the poor and the ones that were left there, and some were taken away later, was Jeremiah. But Jeremiah wasn't just to the poor, we're going to find out in a minute, he was to the nations. Let me go back now and pick up now at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this is Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. By the way, that would take care of abortion, wouldn't it? Amen. All right? And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That's what I mentioned a second ago. Now here's Jeremiah's response to it. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord said unto me, Say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. And let's pray. Father, help me tonight. Please, as I preach, you know if I've outlined this in the last two days, I've studied and worked and spent time just praying over this and outlining it, and I believe this is what you want for tonight. And again, Father, I want what you want. I, I don't want to give these people just a warmed-up message somewhere. I want to give these folks, this church, what you want them to have and the way you want them to have it. So anoint me, fill me, use me tonight. 
Speak to hearts. Help me be a spirit-filled preacher, but help the folks be spirit-filled hearers. And may your word, your word work in our hearts and our lives. And may your will be done. I thank you and praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. In the first four verses, or verse four and five, we see the proclamation to Jeremiah. I, I knew you before I formed you. I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, here's what I want you to do, he says, now in that four and five. Then he says, uh, uh, we see the response of Jeremiah's response to God when he says, Lord God, I cannot, I'm a child. I can't speak. I don't know what to say. And then God's promise to Jeremiah's next when God said, But the Lord said to me, Send out, I'm a child, for thou shalt go, and all that I shall send thee, whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I'm with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And so he said, don't, don't, You don't have to be afraid. I'm sending you. And all that, he, the Bible says he touched his mouth. And the Lord said, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. I'm going to take care of you. And then in verse 9, we see God's plan for Jeremiah. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. And the Lord said to him, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. Now verse 10. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. And then he says, To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down. So he mentions rooting out, pulling down. Destroying, throwing down. Four negatives. And then two positives. To build and to plant. Twice as much rooting out as there was building, wasn't there? I don't know if there's a meaning to that or not. But twice as much negative as there was positive. Maybe that's because there is so much negative that it has to be removed before the positive can be put in. But I want to speak tonight simply on this. Remove to rebuild. Or remove to build. I look at this building you have here, and I remember a pastor when I was here preaching, and y'all had either was fixing to purchase or had just purchased the building. And you brought, pastor brought me over here, and we walked all through the buildings here. And last night, I had not got to see all the new, I'd been up there, but I hadn't seen the renovations yet, the finishing back here in the room behind the PA booth. And so last night, we walked, Brad took me up there, and we went through it. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful. I come into this auditorium the first time I came. I think it was last year, year four. I, I, I guess it was last year. The first time I'd come in here. Man, it was absolutely gorgeous when I came in. And I looked at this building and thought, man, it looks absolutely nothing like it did when I was here before. And while y'all were working on it, I was here preaching. And Pastor brought me through. And Brother Cavanaugh was overseeing, I think, that. And Brad was working with him. Well, Brad was here. And Josh was working with him. And, and some other folks were working. Some of the men were working and so forth, and just stuff was going on. But I noticed something. You had to do something to get that way. You didn't just come in and start putting up seats. You didn't just come in and start uh, painting walls. I, there were, was no wall back there, was there? There was. This wall I know wasn't here. This front wall in front of the baptistry was not even here. I came in while they were putting up the drywall in this, build, in this wall right here. And I had, uh, had it all the way done, and somebody was doing the rest of it. They were working on the ceilings. I was up in the lift doing lights and running wiring and stuff. You know, before you did any work, what did you have to do first? You had to tear stuff down, throw stuff down, just take stuff out, destroy stuff. You had to get rid of a lot of stuff before you could do it. Now we look at it, it's an almost finished product, and we go, wow, 
this place is gorgeous, and it is gorgeous. And I look at it and say, man, what a wonderful, what a magnificent auditorium. What a beautiful building and the, uh, the classrooms and, and all the rooms. It's just fabulous. I mean, God has given you all a magnificent building. I mean, uh, I remember the coming and being here, of course, when I was preaching those other times, we were over in the uh, little uh, furniture place. And then there wasn't much to that, was there? All right. And, and I remember being here preaching uh, some other times in the old building. And it was nice, but it was nothing like this. So much room here, all the park. You had hardly any parking there. I mean, we came well, with a group, and uh, I think I came and spoke one time at the youth rally. And, and the parking lot was packed. There was nowhere to even put everybody. Well, we get, you got all kinds of parking places. Boy, God's been good, hasn't he? Wow. But you know what? This building did not get like this until somebody and a whole lot of people did a whole lot of work of tearing down, destroying, taking out, getting rid of a lot of things. There was a lot of removal before there could be building. You had to remove before you could rebuild. God says to Jeremiah, now here's my plan for you. He said, you're going to have to do some removing before you can do some building. I want you to build them. I want you to plant and build. But first, you've got to root out. You've got to pull down. You've got to destroy. You've got to throw down. Then you're going to build. Then you're going to plant. Now, here's the problem. Most Christians want to take their life and plant over without ever removing. They want to build over. Can you imagine if, if y'all would have came in here and tried to build over what was in here? You would have had a total mess. And in our Christian lives, if we're not careful, we try to build over without ever getting rid of the stuff that doesn't need to be in your life. You can't build over garbage. You can't build over the things that are wrong in your life. If you want to build a solid foundation in your life, you've got to get rid of the old foundation that's bad. If you've got a problem with music, you've got to get rid of the bad music to put the good in. Just putting the good in on top of the bad does not solve your problem. Just watching good programs on TV, if there are any, on top of the bad does not solve your problem. You've got to get rid of the bad and replace it with the good. We had to, you, I rather, I didn't have to, you did. You had to get rid of the bad and replace it with the good. You had to get rid of the stuff that you didn't want. It was not productive. It would not work. Things that was of no value, you had to get rid of them so you could build this wonderful, beautiful building. And in our Christian lives, if we're going to grow, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, there's got to be some removal of sin in our life before God can bless. God does not bless sin. He never has, never will. And the problem with most Christians, we haven't learned that there's some things that have to be removed before God can do a work in our lives. Now let me tonight try to give you some reasons to remove things in our life, remove sin in our life, so that we can build an edifice that God is proud of, something that that is a testimony to Him, something that glorifies Him. Number one, we must remove sin to get clean. If I brought you a glass and it was full of of garbage. And I said, here, here's your glass to drink out of. And I poured some water and said, now here's nice clean water. Here, let me put it down. You drink it. You're not going to drink it, are you? 
You're going to say, I want a clean glass. Last, about a week and a half ago, one of our deacons, he wanted to take me out to eat. And uh, during the week, we were working on some things. And he said, let's go to Golden Corral. I, I, I love and I hate going to Golden Corral because I way eat too much. And I think, okay, he paid that much for it and I got to get my money's worth. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? And so I go and I go and I, I go again. And, 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 uh, and then I have dessert. And sometimes I have to have seconds on the dessert because there's so much up there, I want to sample a little bit of it. And then the next week, I said, okay, we had to work on the bus thing. I said, I tell you what, Brother Reuben, I'll take you out to eat, and I'm buying. Where do you want to go? He said, Golden Corral. And I'm like, oh, man, I should have picked the place myself. I like Golden Corral, but I didn't want to go there again. So we went to Golden Corral. You know what I do when I go to Golden Corral? They got plates stacked up. And I walk over to the plates, and I, I pick it up, and I flip it over. And you know what I do? What do you think I do? I look at it as if it's clean or dirty. Do you do that? Why? I don't want to eat out of a dirty plate. You say, well, it's been through a dishwasher. I don't care what it's been through. If it's dirty, I lay it aside and get a clean one. I want a clean plate. But yet we say to God, here, Lord, here's your vessel that I want you to fill. It's not clean, but you can have it. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to bless you when you got a dirty vessel. I want a clean vessel. I want a clean vessel. And God requires us to have that clean vessel. Now watch this. Follow me now if you would. In Isaiah 51, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save. Then why are people not getting saved? Neither is the ear heavy that he cannot hear. Then why is it seeming he's not hearing? But your iniquity has separated between you and God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Look, when there's something in your life that needs to be gotten rid of, it has to be gotten rid of. We have to clean it up, clean it up, and that's what God wants. Get rid of the sin to get clean. Get rid of the sin to get clean. God wants a clean vessel. Years ago, my wife didn't like me telling the story, but years ago, when Sheila and I got married, and she's not here so I can tell it, as long as y'all don't tell her. Years ago, when we got married, we moved in. We lived over in the east side, northeast side of Huntsville, Alabama. My brother owned the home. He had lived there for a short time. And he said, well, Ricky, you can rent it. And if you want it, you'll rent it to buy if you want to. We'll, we'll set a price. But right now, you just got married. Just get in. You can rent it. Here's how much it is a month. He gave me a real good price. And I said, okay. We moved in. It was in the summertime. We got married in June the 6th. And uh, so it was summertime. Everything was great until winter got there. And when winter got there, I noticed there was a little bit of a problem. We walked out, me and Sheila went to church uh, back up in Tennessee uh, at, at the church where I got saved, where she was from. I was a member there now, and we went there to church. And came back home after church on Sunday night, got back late, and had left a loaf of bread on the table, and the bread had a hole in the plastic. Just a round hole, and it had been eaten out of. And I'm thinking, what got on our table and ate that hole out of the bread? Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out, do you? When it got cold outside, some, fella, some things, some, uh, some uh, varmint came in and decided to make our house his home. But you know what? He didn't come alone. He brought, he brought his family with him. And obviously, he had a pretty good-sized family. 
We left again and came back and we walked in and up on the table again. And I looked up there and there was a uh, rat. Not a mice, not a mouse, a rat. (laughs) Y'all can watch that uh, rat tulia or whatever it is and feel sorry for the rats because something happened to them. Brother, I take you kill every one of them. Only thing worse than rats and cats. I mean, uh, no, I'm teasing. But rat. And I thought, now what I do? And about that time, we got up and said, you know, something stinks in this house. What is it? It's in the kitchen. Well, we had the house. The kitchen was a little bitty area, and the dining room was big, but the kitchen was small. Had a door that went into it. It was so small that you could barely get the refrigerator in. It was so small. And the counter and the, and the stove. It was just small. And there was a door that went out back. Then you came back, and there was an opening and, and you went into the, the my bed, our bedroom was here, the front bedroom. It had a front door going outside. And then this, and then this, the living room had a front door going outside. You had two front doors, two back doors. And the back door went off. They had a setup. They had put in a, a place in our bedroom. You, you opened the bedroom door and the bathroom was back there. And off to your right was your washer and dryer. And then there was a door that went outside. And so we, uh, we, we come home and there was a rat. I'm like, oh, my soul. So I'm getting decon. But the problem was, I started smelling. I thought, well, I didn't put the decon at you. What's going on? A mouse had got up inside the hot water heater and died, and the hot water heater partially fried him. My, 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 one of my brothers and myself, we had to go in and we had to take the whole outside shell of the, of the hot water heater off, take the insulation off, and dig him off and throw him outside and throw it away and then put everything back together. And I thought, well, the mouse was bad enough. Now I got a rat. <laughs> We're laying in bed, and I hear something going. I'm like, is that those? That's, it sounds like a herd of horses up there. I thought, you know, I thought long, you know, the long ranger was coming on. Hey, old silver, away. I mean, I'm serious. It sounded like a whole herd of them up there. I don't, rats aren't in herds, but it sounded like a herd of them. Probably it's only two or three, but it sounded like a herd. And so I'm like, this is ridiculous. So we thought, well, we're going to shut our bedroom door so that he can't come in here, and we're going to shut the other back door. I'm laying in bed there, and I got my, I, I, I'm laying in bed, and about that time I went, I felt something on my back. And I went, I went, like that, and I heard something go. And then I heard at the door this right here. That rat came up the cover, came to my back, and got on my, my, my T-shirt because claws went through the T-shirt into me. Now, he didn't break, make blood or anything. And then when I went like that, he came off, hit the floor, and hit the, I said, that's it. We're moving out until we figure out what to do. I, I got to do something. You know, we went away and came back. My mom came back. I put out decon. And I came home, I put it out all over the place. I came home, I walked into the bedroom, I had a dresser sitting here, the bed was over here facing this way, and that door back there going out, and there laid a, a, a rat, in, he was dead. There he was. So I got my tape measure out and I measured him. From his tip of his nose to the tip of his tail was 16 inches. He, he's a big old rascal. And I said, Sheila, come and look. She goes, I don't want to look, get him out of here. And I said, yeah, but look at him. He's dead. She said, get him out. And I walked over there and I picked him up. And something happened. He revived. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't quite dead yet. 
And I got this rat in my hand, and he's doing that. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. And I know I can't drop him, but I want to drop him. So I'm running, open the doors, open the doors. And I ran outside, and there's a big old oak tree outside. I went, look at that, and I went, wham. And I threw him down, and Sheila goes, you going to leave him there? And I said, I'm done with him. She said, get him in a garbage can or something. Don't leave him laying out back. I'm thinking, good night. I got to get rid of these rats. They're dirty, they're diseased, they're destructive. I got to get rid of them. I thought, maybe I got them. Came home. We came home that night and it was kind of late. And I went in the bedroom, took my shoes off, took my pants off, getting ready for bed. And Sheila goes, Ricky! She screamed, said, Ricky, one just ran into the kitchen. I said, shut the door in there. She shut the door. She said, you got to come and get it. I thought, well, I don't know what to do. So I thought, I'm not going like this. So I didn't have time to put my pants on. I just put my boots on. <laughs> my boots back on. I put my boots on. I ran in there. Try not to see the visual aid down. And I ran in there. And, and I, got, I can't just walk in there without something. And I thought, there's a broom in there. I grabbed the broom. I walked through the door and I grabbed the broom handle. I got the broom and I thought, I'll get him. He came out from around the refrigerator and went up on the, up on the counter. And I said, that's it, I'll get you. I swung, missed him. Hit the, hit, the, hit the refrigerator, and it was a brand new broom, and the paint came off, you know, the red, 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 red stroop, uh, red mark on the refrigerator. I went, oops, new refrigerator too. And then he went down behind the refrigerator. So I went around there, and I poked behind the refrigerator, and he came back up on the counter. So we was playing counter refrigerator, going back and forth, me swinging. Then he had audacity to go to the door, and he's trying, he came up on his back legs, and he's scratching the door, trying to go up the door. So I thought, I got you. I swung. I didn't hit him. I hit the refrigerator. <laughs> I got another red mark on this side of the refrigerator. And then I thought, I got to get him. So I'm, I'm like, ha, oh, I got to get him. And, I'm, and then the rascal turned, and there he was, and there I was. And he hit my boots and started up them. And I'm squiddling like a, like a, uh, I was going to say a Comanche. Maybe that's a bad, uh, uh, that's a, uh, uh, people will take it as a racist term. I've been outside that one. Right. But anyway, I was screaming like a woman or something. I don't know. Like a little, like a little scary. He said, help me. I'm, I'm doing like this and trying to kick him off. And then I grabbed my broom and I hit him. I knocked him unconscious. Then, I don't know why, but there was a piece of wood laying. I grabbed the piece of wood and I went, bang. I picked it again, bang. Of course, blood splattered on the floor. Now I felt like, ah, got him. I didn't do that. That's just how I felt. How about like Tarzan? Ah, Jane, I got him. I got him. <laughs> man, I thought, man, I got him. I picked him up. And I took him outside. And this time I didn't throw him close to the house. I went, phew, way out in the backyard. I walked out and said, okay, I'm done. Sheila goes, no, you're not. I said, yeah, I'm done. I got him. She goes, there's that blood on the floor. I said, the blood won't hurt you. You can wipe it up and wash it. She goes, I am not touching that blood. It'll just have to stay there. I said, okay, I'll get the dumb blood up. You know what? It was a happy day when I got rid of those rats. Now, Sheila didn't like me telling it because she says, it sounds like we were filthy. We weren't filthy. Let me tell you what happened. When it got cold, they wanted a warm place to be, and they, they chose our house, and they found a way in. And once they got in, it was hard to get rid of them. Do you know what? We weren't going to live there until they left. Mm -mm. We weren't staying until they left. I wasn't going I, I to co-occupy that house. Co-habitat, whatever it's called. Coexist with a bunch of rats in my house. They're destructive. Some of them probably are diseased. 
and, 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 and they're da- they damage. And that one, also I didn't tell you this, but Sheila's hand was laid off on the other side and one bit her on the hand. I'm saying, I'm not staying with those rascals. Why? I'm not going to live with the rats. But yet we'll live with sin in our life and ask God to bless us. We'll coexist with our sin and just not worry the least bit about it. It's okay, you know. It's not that big of a deal. I'm okay. No, we're not okay. You can't build until you remove. We had to remove to get clean. If you're going to, the first reason why we remove the sin and junk from our life is to be clean. Number two, remove to get close to God. Submit you therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We must be close to God. You're not going to be close to God if you don't remove the things that are wrong in your life. As we remove, we get clean. As we remove, we get close to God. Let me quickly say this. We remove the sin to grow. Psalm 92, 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm trees. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Sin will stunt your growth. It will slow your sanctification process. What is sanctification? Uh, Brother Brad, come here just a second. If over here is the world, Brad, you be over here in a minute. He's in the world and he just got saved. He looks like the world, acts like the world, talks like the world. Because he just got saved. He doesn't know any better yet. But being like Christ is over here, you know what he's going to do? He's going to start the growth process. Uh, sanctification is a process. Justification is a one-time act whereby I'm declared righteous in Christ by faith. That's salvation. I'm declared righteous. I'm a child of the king. I'm going to heaven. I have eternal life. But I'm not sanctified. Sanctification is a process whereby I become more like Christ, more and more like Christ and less and less like the world. But how do I become more and more like Christ? As I begin to obey his word and implement into my life the things that, are, that, that, that I need to. Take out the bad and put in the good. So when I first got saved, don't you take a step every time I say something. When I first got saved, I, I started going to church. Then I started reading my Bible. Now, I'm a long ways from being like Christ. But I'm, a lot clo- I'm closer than I was. Actually, I'm still closer to the world than I am Christ. But I'm making steps. It's a process. Now, if I quit going to church, I become more like the world. If I quit reading my Bible, I'm back where I was before. So I started going to church. I started reading my Bible. I started telling people about Jesus. And you know what? I quit smoking. I got a haircut and looked like a man. And in those days, it made a difference. What am I doing? I'm becoming more like Christ and less like the world. He's not near as close over there. He's closer over here than he is over there. Now, none of us have arrived. But the more steps I take, the more steps I take for quitting things and starting things and doing what God tells me to do, the closer I am getting to being like Christ. The more like Christ I become. So sanctification is a process where I become more and more like Christ and less and less like the world. Because now I'm getting closer to being what God wants me to be. But I couldn't do that until I removed some things and built in that place with something else. 
Remove some things. I quit listening to the hard rock music and all that stuff and started listening to God's music. I took another step, Brad. What was I doing? I was becoming more like Christ and less like the world. By the way, you can't mention that in most churches this day and age because their music uh, in the, from the platform is, is, the, is the rock music. Just throw Jesus in there somewhere and you're okay. You can like that, lump it or leave it, but it's the truth. And I tell you what, I've been in them where I'm like, Lord, help us. What have they done? More like the world I become, the less like Christ I become. Cleanse your hands, you sin, prepare your hearts. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So if I want to be close to God, if I want to be clean, if I want to grow, I'm going to have to do what? Remove the sin, the things that are wrong in my life, and replace them with what God wants so I can build on the right foundation, not on the wood, not on the sand, but on the rock. Thank you, Brad. What's God say? I'm to remove, to rebuild. Get rid of, so I can have this beautiful thing. That sin will stunt my growth. I must remove the sin, not only to grow, not only to get close to God, not only to be clean, but to get the power of God. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things are reproved that are made manifest by the light. And whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk wine where in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk wine where in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Before he said be filled with the Spirit, he talked about all these sinful stuff. He talks about don't even be hang around it. Don't talk about it. Don't even mention it. Unless you're reproving it, don't even mention it. So I don't talk about what I did before I got saved. Because sometimes we tend, before we get saved, if we're living wicked, we tend to go up and tell it. And all the young people say, well, if he can do that, I can do that too, and I'll get saved, and I'll be in good shape. Look, it was wicked. It was vile. It was dirty. You don't want it. Now, I'm not going to brag. I'm not going to make it sound like I'm bragging about it. But he prefaced, be filled with the Spirit with, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's a shame even to speak of them. Walk circumspectly. I must get removed the sin to get the power of God in my life. Maybe you don't care whether you have it, but I do care. I care whether I have God's power. I was a... Brad, you were, I think, in school. Both of y'all may have been in school. And we had that straight line wind. You remember that? There was a hurricane and it was supposed to go up and somehow or another get pushed it back down in the Louisville area. We had hurricane winds coming through Louisville and there was no hurricane. Straight line winds. We were at church and on the way home is when it happened. I was going up the hill toward my house. I was going up to Interstate 64 and it looked like a haze up there. It was just like a haze. And we got there and some other people that came a different way said we had to stop. They had to cut trees out of the road before we get there. I got there. My neighbors was down. While we was there, there was trees falling in the woods. None of my trees fell, but all at once, our electricity went off and never came back on. The school had electricity. The college did, but the, over at the church, the one side of the dorms where some of the dorms that didn't even have the, the power went out, and they didn't have the power. As Brother Lonnie was pastor then, Brother Lonnie, where he lived, he, over in New Albany, he was without power for, I think, till Friday. And it happened Sunday. I got power back. I think it was Wednesday. I believe I got it back. 
Some people still didn't have it back a week, two weeks later because of the wind. But at the college, even though we had power, it, it brought down two or three big trees. I called about getting it removed, and it was going to be a while before you get to it. And I mean, they wanted an ungodly amount of money, and I said, you know what? I've cut trees. You get me a chainsaw, and I'll cut them. And they went out there, and I cut them down, and I was cutting out there, and somebody else used a chainsaw. And if you've ever used a chainsaw, you know what I'm talking about. You get it in the dirt, and it does what? Dulls the blade. I didn't know it. Me and Mike Jones, you talking about him earlier. We went out there, and we're going to cut trees, and he's helping me. And I got the chainsaw, and I'm, the first time I cut through, it was like, man, that's, whoo, that's hard to cut. Next time I, I started through, and it was, you know, we're talking a tree that's big. And I'm going through it, and I'm like, I'm almost on setting on the chainsaw, you know. And it's going sideways and everything else. And I said, man, I mean, I'm sweating. I'm like, I, I can't do this. It's going to kill me. I got to stop. I had to stop and go in the office and sit down and rest a while. Because of my heart issues, I just couldn't do it. And I'm not talking about the black heart. That's a different story. I'm talking about the actual heart that pumps blood's problem, all right? And... Uh, I looked over and I said, Mike, would you go get this chain sharpened? This chain is dull and I cannot cut anything. He took the chain, that chain and another one, went down to the place, the Ace Hardware. They sharpened the farm, come back, and we put the chain back on. I, I cranked it up. Before I cut probably five minutes on that thing trying to get it through it and it was going sideways. Why? You can't cut with a dull blade. You just can't do it. If you've ever done chainsaw work, you know a dull blade, you're not going to cut much. And it wears you out. In our Christian life, the reason why some of you get so tired and you say the Christian life's not worth it. I used to teach a class. I used to work on a bus ride. But it was just so hard and it just seemed like I couldn't and never accomplished anything. The blade was dull. Make the application. You didn't have the power of God in your life. You get the power of God and it does this. You say, that's pretty good, man. And the clutch, it's straight. Everything looked good. And that's the way it is in Christian life. When you don't have the power of God in your life, you're going to struggle. You're going to feel like you're beating your head against this wall. You feel like nothing is accomplished. You feel like, man, this is not worth it. It's because you're dull, because the power of God's not in your life. And I don't know about you, but I want the power of God because I want to take every bit I can and use it for the Lord. And the truth is, so many of us, we don't have God's power. And the reason is because there's sin in our life. And God's not going to give you his power when you have sin in your life. It's not going to happen. Remove the sin to be clean. That's one reason. Another reason you do it, you remove the sin to be close to God. You remove the sin to grow. You remove the sin to have the power of God. And you remove the sin to get your prayers answered. You pray and you quit praying because it doesn't work. It works. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not... What? Say it loud. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not... Will not hear me. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination, Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. The Proverbs, the, the uh, writer of Proverbs said. You know what we do? We allow sin to stay in our heart. You say, I- I'm not immoral. I didn't say you were. Are you unthankful? We talked about that last night. Do you gossip? You got bitter spirit towards someone? 
See, we look at the sins of commission. I didn't, do it. I didn't commit anything wrong. How about the sins of omission? Go therefore and teach all nations. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? We're commanded to do it. I'm just telling you what the Bible is. Take that any way you want to take it. See, what we do is we take the things. Be ye kind one to another. Tend the heart and forgive one another. Be ye kind. How about when you're unkind? That's sinful. See, we take those sins and we go, well, that's not really wrong. I mean, it's just, that's just your, no, that's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. It's God's opinion. God said, be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I, uh, before I went to college, right before I went to college, I needed a battery in my car, and I went to Sears. Back then, how many remember the Die Hard battery? I, may have, I've, I think I've told this illustration here before, and I'm going to tell it again because it applies. The Die Hard battery. And I, I got me a Die Hart battery, and I got in there, and one day I started to start the current one start, and I went out there, and the cable seemed like it didn't. I just tap, tapped the cable a little bit, and it started. Okay, no problem. Now, instead of stopping and cleaning it off and putting it back on to tighten it up, I just grabbed the hammer, and I just left the hammer there, and anytime it done, I'd just tap it, and it'd start, which was more trouble than if I'd just done it the other way, but so be it. I did what I did, and I can't do anything about that now. Well, I got to college, and it worked most of the time, but occasionally I'd have to tap it. One day I went out there to do it, and it wouldn't start, and I reached over, and I looked, and the post was loose. And I went, oh, no. So I got the car started somehow, I don't know, jumped it or something, and I went to Sears. And I had a friend of mine, he said, they'll take the battery back. It's a diehard. They'll give you a, you know, it's got it prorated. I went in, talked to the guy in charge, and I told him, I said, the battery's there. I, said, I told him, I said, I think I might have even broke it because I was tapping it. He said, Sears fixes them. Don't worry about it. All right. They put my new battery in. I don't even think I charged me hardly anything. I went home and looked at it and went on. That was early year, first year or so I was in school. About the third year I was in school, I'm praying and I'm out sowing and I'm praying. I'm saying, God, I really want your power. God, I really want your power. I want to be used. I don't want to just be a college student that comes here and goes to college and goes home and never does anything. God, if I'm going to give my life to you, I want to, I want to, I want to make a difference. I want to see people saved. I go sowing. I just want to go sowing and then, and then knock on doors and go home and nothing ever happens. I know sometimes that happens, Lord, but I really want to win souls. And so I'm praying, oh, God, give me your power. Oh, God, give me your power. I'm even praying and fasting some. Oh, God, give me your power. I need your power. Oh, God. I know Brother Howell's probably preached a message on the power of God. And boy, it really ripped my heart. And I got to have his power. I'm begging God for his power. Someone said, well, ask God if there's any sin in your life to show it to you. He'll show you. He wants you to know what it is. And I thought, okay. So I said, oh, God, I want your power. And the first sin in my life is keeping me having your power. Would you reveal it to me? And I'll get it right. And this came to my mind. You didn't totally tell them the truth about that battery. And I thought, well, actually I did, didn't I? No. Actually you didn't. And I thought, ah. So I just kind of sloughed it off and went on and did my little merry way. Oh, God, give me your power. Oh, God, I want your power. Oh, God, give me your power. I mean, I'm praying and begging and so forth. I'd stop, and this came to my mind every time, Brad, battery. I thought, that's okay. So I got disturbed. I went and talked to a guy who, who was, uh, had wor- worked at the college, and he worked for Sears. And I said to him, I said, here's my situation. He said, they, they don't care. Take, you don't have to worry about it. I thought, good. It was a staff member. He's a good man. He worked there. I'm fine. 
So forget that. Oh, God, give me your power. Oh, God, give me your power. Oh, God, I want your power. I want to be used. I want to win souls. God, I want your power. Would you hear my prayer and answer? God, please. Battery. I said, Lord, I already talked to this, and he told me it was okay. Oh, God, give me your power. Oh, God, give me your power. Please, God, I want your power. Battery. That's all that would come to my mind. I'm out sewing with a deacon from First Baptist Hammond named uh, Dick Kennedy, Richard Kennedy. Dick's just a normal guy that says what he thinks and thinks what he I don't know if he thinks before he says it, but he does say it. But he's a good man. We were doing some extra soul winning for a special thing. He and I went out soul winning together. We came back, and we got back a little earlier than we planned, and I said, Dick, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And I, I told him the story that I just told you. And I said, Dick, I don't know if I should go back and tell them and try to make it right. I mean, they're liable to accuse me of stealing the battery and say that and, and lock me up and put me in jail. I don't know. I'm liable to accuse me of being a thief, fraudulent. I don't want to go to jail for it. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to go see him. He said, Ricky, it's not courage you need. It's character. And it was like putting a knife in my heart. I was working 40 to 50-something hours a week on a job at night, going to college, taking 17 to 18 hours of college, was married with a wife and a child, and I, at night, if I got five hours of sleep, it was good. And by the weekend, if I got a day off for some reason and went home and was going to do something special with Sheila, I went to sleep before we could even do it. I was so tired. I was exhausted. I'd lost weight. Uh, I haven't lost it lately, but I lost it then. Man, I'm telling you, uh, I lost weight. I mean, I, I, was, I, stayed, I stayed totally tired. I was 25 years, 26 years old. I was exhausted all the time. Because I was working so many hours and taking so many classes and trying to study sometime. And I, I mean, there was times, one time I had a final exam and I, I didn't even study for it. I didn't have time. And I wasn't being lazy and I wasn't watching ball games and I wasn't doing something else. I didn't even know who was playing. I was so, I was so busy. I would study on the way to school. My wife would, when she went, I'd study on the way there and study on the way back. And then I got to where I'd, I'd even study I'd, uh, a tape player. I didn't have a cassette player, so I did a, one of those in the batteries, and I'd listen to the tapes to memorize them on the way there and on the way back because I didn't have time to listen to them any other time. I was busy. And you're telling me I don't have character? What is character then? And God said, you know what you need to do, Ricky. Now, he didn't verbally say it, but in my heart he said, you need to go back. So I mustered up the character <laughs> and courage. And I went over there and I pulled in. I'm thinking, well, I may not go home after this is over. They may arrest me. I'm serious. This is what I thought. And I walked in and I said, hey, is the manager here? And they said, well, what do you need him for? And I said, well, I just need to talk to him. I got something I got to ask him. He said, all right, just a minute. The manager came out and said, can I help you? I said, okay, this is going to sound crazy. But let me tell you what happened. And he looked at me like a calf looks a new gate. What? And I told him the story. And I said, sir, I just, I'm a, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm in college over here. I'm going to graduate. And I'm going to serve God. 
and God won't let me go until I take care of this battery and get it right with y'all. Tell me what I need to do. Do I need to pay money? Whatever I need to do, you tell me. I'm here today to do what you say. He said, okay, just a minute. And he left. And I'm out there going, well, I got it off my chest, and I told him. And now I'm, you know, no, no. I'm not, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, 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 no. The shark's getting closer, right? And it wasn't no baby shark. Anyway, I'm thinking, oh, my soul, what's going to happen? He walked back out and said, sir, it's kind of an odd situation you're asking. I said, I know, I know. But I just got to get right with God. He said, well, that paperwork is gone. It's not upstairs. It's already gone. There's nothing I can do. Listen, you've paid enough. Just to come and do what you did is the price. You can go home. And I said, sir, you don't know how grateful I am. Thank you, thank you. He said, no problem. I said, Ser- seriously, I just want to thank you. I-, I wanted to hug him is what I wanted to do. I didn't th- he might have thought I was a little bit odd, so I didn't. And I walked out of there, and I got in my car. I didn't have air conditioning. Had a 74 Plymouth Duster with side pipes on the side, wide raised letter tires. It sounded good. I got in my car. Windows roll down. I'm driving off the parking lot. I'm going, well, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got it settled. I got it settled. My heart's clean. Woo! This is good stuff. You know what we do? We make excuses why our sin's okay. We say, well, it wouldn't matter anyway. And people have told me it's okay if we do it. When deep in your heart, when you're begging God and you're wanting the power of God and you've got to have your prayers answered, God's waiting on you to get some wicked, vile sin out of your life or something that you don't even think is that bad, but yet God says, I want it right. And I'm not going to fill you. And I'm not going to bless you. And I'm not going to answer your prayers until you get right what you know is wrong. Quit making excuses and get it right. And that day I learned a valuable lesson. It's better to get it right and get it over with than to carry it around for a long time and let that weight hold you back. Now let me close with these questions. Number one, are you willing to let God probe your heart and see if there's any sin that needs to be removed? That's where most of us will not take that step. But yet the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart, I pray. Try, and, and, and it doesn't say this, but the verse says, try me and know my thoughts. And sift there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let me read it again. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if you really want to get God's power and you really want to get your prayers answered and you really want to be used by God, you're going to have to come to the point in your life where you take this verse and and own it and say, this is what I'm going to do. Are you willing to let God probe your heart, see if there's any sin in there that needs to be removed? Remove to rebuild. Number two, are you willing to acknowledge that sin, uh, that what sin is really is? What is sin? It's disobedience to God. The psalmist said, David said in Psalm 51, 3 and 4, For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me against thee 
and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He said, against you, God, I did it. So are you willing to let God probe your heart and see if there's any sin that needs to be removed? And are you willing to acknowledge what sin really is? That it's disobedience to Almighty God, no matter what sin it is. Number three, are you willing to humble yourself and confess your sin? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteous. Confess does not mean say, hey, I may have sinned, God. Confess means sin it like God sees it. It's wicked, vile, dirty sin. And number four, are you willing to rebuild where the sin has destroyed and done damage? They had to tear away to build. And if you're going to build your Christian life and grow, if you're going to be clean, if you're going to be filled with God's power, if you're going to have your prayers answered on a regular basis, if you're going to have these things happening to you and in your life, you're going to have to let God probe your heart. Find out what it is. What is it in your life? See, I was looking, uh, I was looking Brother Green, for some big sin in my life. Oh, God, maybe I did some wicked, vile thing. And God says, battery. Well, I didn't even, I just didn't really tell him the whole truth. So I began to, Brother Green, make excuses. It wasn't that bad. And then when I talked to that staff member, I felt pretty good about it now. But you know, the more I prayed, the more God revealed. As I was saying, God probed my heart. God says, okay, I probed it. Now here's your problem. Do something about it. And here's our problem. We may even go as far as to ask God to probe, but when he shows us, we go, yeah, well, that's, that's not, that, not, that, not that far, Lord. Now, I'm not going to go that far. You're asking too much of me. But how much do you want to be used by God? Do you want to be a mediocre Christian who goes through life, never has the privilege of leading folks to Christ, never has the privilege of having your prayers answered, never has the privilege of having the blessing of God, never knows the joy and peace and love and long-suffering and kindness and all those things that God has for you and temperance, never understands the fruit of the Spirit, never understands the joy of the Christian life. You want to be that way, go ahead. I want to have joy. I want to have the joy of Jesus in my heart. I want to have love. I want to have peace. I want to have long-suffering. I want to have gentleness. I want to have goodness. I want to have temperance. I want to have those things in my life. And I'm not going to have them. I'm not going to have the fruit of the Spirit until the Spirit has control of me, brother, and my pastor. I'm going to have to walk in the Spirit to have those. And I can't walk in the flesh and the Spirit at the same time. The Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What do you want in your life? I guess that's the question. How far do you want to go? I guess you could word it this way. Are you willing to pay the price for God to use you? Or are you satisfied right where you're at? You know, some churches are satisfied with we four and no more. And they don't care about everybody else. Just as long as they're happy and they're just there and everything's, everything's kosher, we're good. But see, I see a world out here around us that's dying and going to hell. And I believe we can reach them. And I'm sorry that people say, well, that age is over with. The church age is not over with, is it? And in the church age, Brother Rick can still reach people. So why don't we reach them? Maybe it's because we've never been willing to let God probe our heart, search us, and see exactly where we're at spiritually so that he can take and remove the sin.
And until we're willing to let him probe, we're not going to know what to do. I want him to probe me. Now, I don't always like what he tells me. I don't always like it. But I need it. And then when I get it right, that's why when I drove out of that parking lot, Brother Green, I was having myself an old-timey old shouting fit. <laughs> Woo! This is good stuff. I just couldn't contain myself. Because you know why? The burden had been lifted. Haven't some of you taken the burden and carried it too long already? Aren't you tired of carrying the weight of the sin? I mean, it's weighting you down. It bothers you. And, and you know it is. And you've been carrying it and you carry it. And it's heavy and it's weighted. Would you like to be light as a feather? Would you like to be able to rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. Rejoice in the Lord. You lost your rejoicing because of the sin. You lost your joy because of the sin. Will you let him probe you? Will you not only let him probe you, but will you let him, will you acknowledge that it really is sin against God, rebellion? And then will you be willing to find your place, maybe it's at this altar, and get on your knees before God and be honest with him? Say, God, search my heart and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And watch God begin to do like he did me. And like he's done me many, many more times since. And continues to do. But I have to be willing to humble myself and confess it. And see it like he sees it. And then when that happens, then I can rebuild my life. And rebuild the areas where sin may damage. And may have destroyed. Father, bless the invitation time.